Well, good morning. You guys seem to like that. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, I have a confession to make that when I am channel surfing, uh, I on occasion will come across the Discovery Channel and I will get uh, drawn into a show called Naked and Afraid. Uh, I do not DVR it. I do not intentionally watch it. It's sort of like a traffic accident that you can't look away from. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's, it's, it's the oddest of shows. Uh, it's it's um, two people who agree to live together in the wilderness and be naked. And there you go. That's kind of the idea of the show. Uh, Often during the show, someone or both will spend time trying to figure out how to make clothing so that they can cover up their nakedness, and that has uh, varying degrees of effectiveness. And uh, it's just odd. It's filled with relational tensions. Usually those tensions have to do with because there's little food for them to eat, there are plenty of bugs biting them, and uh, they're scared. And so it's called Naked and Afraid. I don't encourage you to find it. It's Like I said, it's just odd. Um, it's, it's interesting. But this morning, I want to talk about Naked and Afraid. This morning we're going to talk about another great summer read, and it's the story of Adam and Eve. And it's a huge story that uh, I only have 30 minutes to tell, but I encourage you to read those chapters, chapters 1 and 2 and 3 in the book of Genesis. And we'll read some excerpts of that, and I'll do my best to tell the story. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite parts of the Bible, and I know I say that often, that this part is my favorite part, but this part is probably my favorite part. I don't know how that says about all the other parts, but it answers so many questions about humanity and it answers and explains things about our relationship to God and it's just some really good stuff. One of my professors back in seminary called this story theological history, that it's written to tell us about God and to tell us about humanity's relationship with God. And when I read this story in those first three chapters, I can't help but think about that I'm reading about my theological history, and you can read about your theological history. Now, what you believe about the story of Adam and Eve uh, can, can be varying. You can read think some different things. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you, what do you think about it? Don't answer that. Just think, what do you believe about this story in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Adam and Eve? You've likely heard it before if you went to Sunday school or grew up in church, you surely heard of it. And if not, you at least have, have had reference to it, this story about the first man and first woman. Before we go further, let me just share some ideas that you may or may not have. You may believe that this is only a story. It's just, it's just a story to tell some, some history. And that's, if that's the case, that's okay. That works, for, that works and that can, that can be, the story, that can be uh, uh, your belief in this. You can believe in two people who were named Adam and Eve. If, and if you believe that, that works as well for this story. Or you can believe that Adam and Eve symbolically represent all of humanity. And so there's some, anywhere on that spectrum, uh, it's okay wherever it is that you stand because what's great about theological history is it doesn't change the meaning for us. That wherever you land, it doesn't change the meaning of the story. That this is about God and about God's relationship with humanity and about humanity's creation and part and responsibility. 
capabilities in the world. So we're going to look at those things. Uh, so it begins uh, up on the screen in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. Now this isn't the beginning of time. This is in the beginning when humanity and all of creation was put into place. God existed before that. There's no beginning for God. But in the beginning when creation is created, God created and God created the heaven and the earth. Now again, whatever your views on this story, there's a few things theologically that we can agree on. The history is that God is the creator of the cosmos and humanity. As you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you'll see that God is responsible for creating all of it. He put it all into place. That God spoke. And when God spoke, light came into existence. And, and when God spoke, animals filled the planet. And when God spoke, stars were put into the sky and across the cosmos. And and so God is the orchestrator and the creator of all of existence. And that God's responsible for the existence of everything and everybody that exists. And that God created human beings as innocent individuals, as an innocent people. And that sin and death are a result of humanity's decision to rebel. And that humanity chooses to not trust God. Now, a lot of times, I know when I was younger, I would blame Adam for this, right? Say if, you know, if only Adam, Adam had not, if Adam and Eve had not done this, think what a wonderful place it would be instead. But as I got older, I realized that if Adam hadn't disobeyed God, Rick Court certainly would have. In big and small ways, I've chosen to not trust in God. And I hope if you were honest, you would agree that we're all Adam. We're all Eve in this. So the story continues up on the screen in chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, he created. The Lord God placed the man, this is further on in chapter 2, placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. We're going to talk about that, what it means to tend and watch over. But the Lord God warned Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And so this world of Adam and Eve is perfect in every way. The author wants us to know that this world that God has put into place is unaffected by sin, that nothing is broken, that it is paradise. What the author doesn't tell us is how long this, is, this existence has been going on for Adam and Eve. It may be months, it may be years, but they are living in this perfect world created by God, this perfect place created by God, these perfect or these innocent people created by God, this relationship between each other and the relationship between God created by God, and that God has introduced and invited humanity to be a partner in the creative process. And so Adam names the animals. And then given the responsibility to care for creation, and to watch over creation, and to lead creation. 
So the story continues in chapter 2. God puts Adam to sleep and he creates Eve. And then when Adam comes out of the divine anesthesia, Adam looks at Eve and says, At last, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman. And you know why she was called woman, right? Because Adam went, whoa, man. Whoa, man. Because she was taken from man. There's actually another reason, but we'll stick with that one. So this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were not naked and afraid. They're naked and felt no shame. And so this, the writer of Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve had been one entity. Throughout the beginning story of, of chapter 1 and, and chapter 2, when they're spe speaking of Adam, it's Adam and Eve as one entity. And my professor in seminary said that then God, when he put Adam to sleep, initiated the first splitting of the Adam. It's pretty good, man. You can't forget that once you hear it. In other words, that it was all of Adam split into Adam and Eve. And so this perfect relationship is created of purity and innocence. And they have nothing to hide. They are at peace with God. They are at peace with each other. They are at peace with Selves. They have no baggage that they're bringing into this relationship. Now just pause there for a second. For those of you who are married, you remember that day, right? When you stood in, at the altar and you stood there or wherever it is you got married and you stood there and you were united with your spouse. Now here's the deal. When that happened, I was in a white tux that day. That was the cool thing to do back then. I don't know if it is today, but... I look good. But what we probably should do in those moments is we probably should, as a symbolically, also bring some backpacks and luggage with us. Because what we all bring into those relationships is the baggage of our family histories, of our past experiences, and all those things. And we bring that into this relationship, and we're supposed to make it's good. Adam and Eve had none of that. They had no baggage. They were at peace with each other, at peace with the world, at peace with God. Now, they're not perfect. I would say that they are innocent. The author says that they're naked and felt no shame. They had nothing to hide, nothing to hide from God, nothing to hide from each other. And then something happened. The story takes a drastic and deadly turn. Again, up on the screen. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now here the author does something interesting. The author chooses to use a serpent to represent something, to represent evil entering into the equation. Now why did, why use a serpent? Because centuries ago, 
people knew you don't hang out with serpents, especially if they talk. You see, because evil is not playful. Evil's not something to be played with. It's not a puppy. Puppies are cute and cuddly. Serpents, eh, not so much, right? Serpents are deadly. Serpents are dangerous. Evil is out to harm you. The writer is letting us know that evil is a snake, and sooner or later, no matter how careful you are, if you engage it, it will strike. Now, Adam and Eve choose to entertain the serpent. They entertained evil. But yet we know earlier in the story that they were given responsibility to lead for and care and had authority over the garden. So Adam and Eve could have, when the talking serpent arrived and tried to engage them in conversation, they could have said, be gone. Leave. We have authority over you. We don't want to engage in this. But they didn't. They chose to play with it like a puppy. And when you toy with evil, it will bite you. And so Adam and Eve are bit. They, they choose to engage the serpent. They entertain evil in the garden that was created by God. They invite evil into the garden, the same garden that they've been given responsibility to lead and care for and watch over. And then up on the screen, it continues. So the serpent asks the question, and Eve answers and says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And the serpent replied to the woman, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so once evil is part of the moment, it spirals out of control quickly. The serpent creates doubt, questioning God's word, questioning God's trustworthiness, questioning the creator of paradise. The serpent then creates distortions, calling God a liar, marring the relationship between God and humanity, causing questions. And finally, even denying God and ridiculing God. Doubts, distortions, and denials. All of these things have been part of our world and our struggle with God and humanity ever since. That we continue to doubt. We have distorted understandings of God and even deny. So the story continues. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, naked and afraid. 
And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so the writer of Genesis tells us that Adam and Eve had everything in life. They were in a perfect place, a God-created relationship with each other, and an intimate relationship with God. But they wanted more. Isn't that the story of humanity? There's more. There must be. We become convinced that there must be more, that there must be something that's more beautiful, something more delicious. We start to believe God must be hiding something from us, and therefore I should have it. God must be keeping something from me. Doubts, distortions, and denials. And so Adam and Eve choose to engage with evil, and they choose to trust something other than God. Now, side note here, I wasn't sure if I have time, but it's second service, so I can, you know, kind of just do what I want here. Hang on, folks. Uh, now, so, so a lot of times, this is a really important side note, a lot of times Eve gets a lot of the blame for this story. I mean, Eve engaged, it seems, in the conversation with the serpent. Eve took the fruit, and Eve gave it to Adam. Poor guy's just standing around, right? But yet he was there, yet he had the same authority as Eve to cast the serpent out. And instead, he chose to be passive. Instead, he chose to say nothing in the face of evil. And I believe that's an indictment on men in general, that we tend to just be passive instead of aggressively pursuing the things of God, instead of aggressively pursuing those things that are good and pure and avoiding and moving away from evil. If only we could be more aggressive men in our fight for the God-created relationships that God has for us. Instead, we end up being passive. We just let life happen. And we choose to not engage. And we allow evil to lead us right out of the garden. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says this, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Don't you love how the writer puts this? It's evening, it's cool out, and God is out for a walk. Is that just this beautiful image of God? He's out for a walk. He's enjoying his creation. He's just, you imagine just like going, that came out really nice. He's just enjoying the space. And then sadly it says this, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So God is present. He's walking in the garden. He's there in the same space as humanity. And they hide. They hide from God. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And sadly, it began the first game of hide and seek. And we've been hiding from God ever since. 
Adam says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And so Adam and Eve in this one action have gone from having no shame and innocence to being filled with shame and hiding. Before they engaged in evil, they were naked and had no shame. They were innocent. They had nothing to hide from anyone. But afterward, they are naked and filled with guilt and shame, and they even are hiding from God. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the overarching theme is a theme of freedom and blessing. And the theme in chapter 3, after this moment, the theme is prohibition and restriction. It's gone from freedom to restriction. And so sin and evil will always, always lead us away from the best of relationships instead into a fear-filled life. It'll lead us from innocence to shame to fear. It will lead us to broken relationships, and it will lead us to hiding our true selves. And now we live in this world that is just wrapped up and captured in fear. It's just present throughout our culture. If you watch the news or read the news, you see that fear is overwhelming us. Everything, and it's, it's an incredible motivator. It motivates us in such powerful ways. I mean, you'll see it uh, soon. We are about to enter into an election cycle. And you will see that as we move into that time, as the uh, advertisements, the political advertisements that are put on, they often use this similar tactic. It's called the fear of rival tactic. And what it means is this, that those commercials will happen and bad things will happen if their opponent is elected. And so it's all meant to cause fear. So you have to vote so that bad things don't happen. Because what if the opponent were to win? It uses fear. We also live in this incredible fear of emotional fear and relational fear. We're fearful of what others may be thinking of us. We're fearful of what God may be thinking of us. And so we find ourselves in this gross hide-and-seek game of hiding and seeking from the people who should know us best, but yet we hide things. I talk to people all the time, and I find that they got into the situation they're in. Almost always, it's because it's something in secret. Hiding. Hiding and running. Hiding from relationships with, with people here, and hiding from God as well. And so because of this fear, we then desperately try to cover ourselves with fig leaves. And I love, as you look at the story again, the writer makes it so, so vivid. And you're like, here they are trying to make clothes out of leaves. If you watch the show Naked and Free, see how foolish that is. Try to make clothes out of leaves. Just try it. Well, don't really, but it's foolish. But we do the same thing. We practice the same foolish activity. We try to hide ourselves through lies and deceptions. And so we live in fear, afraid others will discover our real selves with fig leaves that never really work. 
And so the result of humanity's rebellion is that we have this incredible fear of God and fear of others. And so these fig leaves, like I said, are not enough to fix the problem of evil created by humanity. And so if you read at the end of chapter 3 in Genesis, you see that God replaces the inadequate fig leaves that Adam and Eve have made, and he replaces them with clothing from animal skins. And God then, so God provides better clothing for Adam and Eve. And this is the first sacrifice in the Bible. And it begins the foreshadowing of God's plan for creation that an animal gives its life so that humanity can be clothed. And this clothing is just a stopgap. And it's just the foreshadowing of this greater sacrifice that will be made for all of humanity. And the once and for all conquering of evil and sin. And so now it begins this, in this telling of this origin story in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And then the rest of Scripture is about this redemption plan and this rescue plan, this elaborate plan that God puts into place to conquer the fear and the death and the sin that entered the world because of humanity's decision to not trust God. And so Paul tells us, he references this story in Romans chapter 5, again up on the screen. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. See, Adam and Eve competed for God's place. They wanted to be like God, where Jesus died in our place. Adam and Eve are not content living in a perfect world. Jesus, though, was not content living in the shattered world we had created. In a moment of arrogance, Adam and Eve reject God's wisdom, and they choose to go their own way. But in a life of astounding mercy, Jesus obeyed God to the cross for you and for me. And so I would suggest that Jesus' sacrifice is better than 10,000 fig leaves. Better than 10,000 fig leaves. There's no more fear. There's no more shame. With Jesus, there's no more lies. There's no more hiding. And there's no more covering up who we are. Instead, we can have a right relationship with God and humanity. Instead, there can be honesty and peace and love. Now let me wrap this up, and we're going to jump all the way from Genesis to Revelation. See, everything between Genesis chapter 11 and Revelation is the elaborate rescue plan that God put into place. But Revelation and Genesis, the beginning and the end of the, of the Bible, have some incredible similarities. Uh, both have this beautiful poetic language. Genesis talks about God and humanity together in the Garden of Eden. Revelation talks about God and humanity together again. Genesis talks about a garden that is built by God, while Revelation talks about a city that is built by God. In Genesis, there are rivers that are running through the Garden of Eden. In Revelation, there are rivers that run through the center of the city. In Genesis, there are trees. Right? And specifically, there's a tree of life. And after Adam and Eve rebel against God, they are cast out of the garden so they no longer can eat from this tree of life. 
And it is a direct result of rebellion. That rebellion brought death. But in Revelation chapter 22, the writer John says this. It's up on the screen. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. Get this. On each side, on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Anything. No longer will there be a curse on the world that we look at. No longer will there be a curse on relationships that we have. All that's been broken is going to be restored. And why? For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. God's going to walk around the city in the same way he walked through the garden. And his servants will worship him, not hide, not be in fear, but worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. In the city of God, there's going to be trees, specifically a tree of life. Men and women, that's not by accident, all right? That isn't just God just throwing things together, all right? That's an elaborate rescue plan that God put into place so that, uh, uh, that even though there was this fallen, broken world that humanity created, that, that it was remedied by Jesus on the cross, and this tree of life is for you and for me forever and ever. And that's something to be excited about even in August. Are we excited? Do we see what's ahead? That all of this was put together and it's, and, 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 and it's designed so that we would know that God loves us like no one else can love us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done. So why would all of that be so good? With 15 seconds, let me share. We live, here's the idea, I want you to just take this home with you and it's a lifelong challenge. We live in between these two trees. We live in between these two trees. See, we're living in between Genesis and Revelation. Our story, your story, my story, our story as a community is in between those two trees. We weren't part of the Genesis story, although it impacts every part of our life. And we will someday, someday get to be part of the Revelation story. But in between is where we're living right now. We're living in between the beginning of creation and the God and of God creating all new things. We live in between the tree of life that was forbidden in Eden and the tree of life that will be available to all nations, that will bring healing to all of us, and everything will be restored. 
We're living in between these two trees. So what does that mean? It means that the story of Adam and Eve is the story of creation and about the partnership and the relationship that we have between God, that that is between God and humanity. That God chose to partner with us, that God chose to partner with humanity in caring for and tending for intending for creation, that we have meaningful labor and tasks, that we have responsibilities, that we have a privilege to be part of this world, that God throughout the creation story turned over these responsibilities to us, and that God and humanity together are in a relationship and it's part of creation. And this pattern doesn't end in Genesis. It goes throughout all of Scripture. It goes throughout uh, all of time. That it's a theme that runs throughout the Bible. That while living between these two trees, we're responsible to be partnering with God. That we are in relationship with God, and we've been given meaningful work. Our responsibility is to reshape and repair and restore a broken world. And we get to plant the very seeds of paradise in our world together with God. Brian McLaren, many decades ago, wrote a book, and in it he said this. He was talking about the church, and he said, this is the church's responsibility. We're here on a mission to join God in bringing blessing to our needy world. And he wrote that 20 years ago. A needy world. He goes on to say, we hope to bring God's blessing to you, whoever you are and whatever you believe. And if you'd like to join us in this mission and the faith that creates and nourishes it, you're welcome. If you've been part of the problem, Brian says, we invite you to switch sides and to become part of God's solution. That's the mission that we've received as a church. It's our responsibility to live this mission radically, courageously, and generously. Now, Jesus called it kingdom building. He called it building the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In creation language, it's called building the garden. In revelation language, it's called the city of God. In hope's language, hope church, you know what we call it? We call it conforming to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. We're building the kingdom. We're restoring and reshaping the creation. We're living in between these two trees. And we have the responsibility and the privilege of planting seeds of life in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our world. You see, when we can live in that kind of way, when we realize we're living in between these two trees, Monday morning is not just Monday morning. It means that we get to go to work And we can use that opportunity, whatever it is we do, to restore and to rebuild and to repair. That we can choose to live life differently among the people we're living with, among the people that we're working with, and the people that we see in the Wawa parking lot. Because we are planting seeds to reshape our world and restore our world and repair our world. Bringing hope and removing fear. Repairing relationships with all of humanity. Both us as individuals repairing relationships and as communities repairing relationships. Reshaping our world. 
because we have the incredible opportunity and privilege of living in between two trees. Or to this incredible, intimate relationship with God where God will walk among us. And now we get to see glimpses of that. But one day, it will be our reality. So let's pray together. And so God, I thank you for for the stories that you give us in Scripture, God, the story of Adam and Eve, that, God, it so explains our condition and our circumstance. That, God, we, when we're honest with you, we know that there are times that we have trusted in things other than you. And, God, we have broken so many things because of that. We have broken relationships. We have broken uh, uh, broken worlds. And God, that's on us. And God, thank you for Jesus. That you saw our brokenness. You saw where we had been. You saw what we have done. And yet, God, you offer grace and love and forgiveness. And God, we look forward to planting seeds of restoration, planting seeds of, of hope in and around our world. God, that we get to be part of building the kingdom of God for the sake of others. God, I pray that that would be an incredible challenge for us, that God, we would see that as a daunting task, but yet an exciting responsibility and privilege. And that, God, we would see Monday morning as not just another day. And that we would see this week as not just another week. But, God, we would look at it as a way to restore and reshape and rebuild our broken world. So that we could see glimpses of you knowing that someday, God, you will be walking in the midst of us. In the city of God where this river flows and where the tree of life brings healing to all of us. And so, God, we thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as you go, may you know that there is a God that loves you with his whole heart, that he knows everything there is to know about you. He created you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. But yet he loves you with his whole heart. That, he, that this God loves you enough that he would rather die than live without you that he would choose to vacate heaven to bring heaven down to you. And that there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that kind of love. Instead, it chooses to hide. Hide from God and hide from each other. And we have this opportunity to plant seeds of hope so that men and women and boys and girls would know of this great love that no one can love them as much as the God that you know. Amen. Have a great day.